This is the second Sunday of Lent, and we are into our second week of our Lent series in the book of Colossians. We'll be looking at this morning Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23, and a very famous passage that we've been sharing all throughout this service already. If you missed last week, Colossians is a letter from the Apostle Paul, famous church planter, pastor, and apostle of the church in the early first century, about 30 years after the resurrection of Jesus for his main time of operation. His letter to the Colossians can be summed up in one simple phrase, Jesus is enough. If you have very little and you're struggling, and it feels like the walls are closing in on you, and all you have is your belief and trust in Jesus, Paul would say, that's enough. Jesus is enough to get you through it. If you are living in a world like many of us are now in uh, eastern United States in 2022, and you'd say, I have a lot of stuff going on, and I have a lot of streaming options and opportunities and wealth in my life, Paul would still say, Jesus is enough. And rethink everything that you have and are dependent on and leaning into and try and scale that back to the center point of who we are and what we believe, that Jesus Christ is sufficient. He's writing a few decades after this church had been founded, and they fell into a pattern that many of us do in our 10th, 20th, 30th year of following Jesus, where they had said, you know, Jesus died, resurrected, I trust in him, but also... I'm going to now start studying new philosophies to try and guide me in this. Or also, I need to rekindle an emotionality, or I need new rituals beyond this. And he's battling something called Gnosticism, or special knowledge, special wisdom beyond Jesus. And he's pulling them back and saying, come back to the center point of our faith. Come back to the person at the heart of it and lean into the supreme and powerful and loving presence of Jesus. In this letter, we see a pattern that Paul has consistently. Roughly two chapters of theology, two chapters of teaching, what it means that Christ came, and then at least two chapters of how that applies, what that affects us, how it uh, guides, structures our lives. And so we are deeply into Paul's theological introduction, and we're going to dive in this morning. Let's read the scriptures together. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 18 is where we will begin. As Paul writes, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray together. God, we invite your Holy Spirit to remind us of how very good you are how very sufficient you are, Jesus. And may you guide us forward as a church body, as those who call on your name to have greater peace, greater joy, and greater power in the presence of the one who conquered death itself in Christ Jesus, our Savior and our King. We pray this in your name. Amen. 
The core portion of this in this first verse, in verse 15, is, as Paul's saying, that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. For us, we have a lot of analogies or metaphors that we can use, but they had main, one main idea that they use. And Jesus uses it in the Gospels when he's teaching about should we give to Rome. He holds up a coin, and on the coin is the image of the emperor. And that coin was considered the perfect image of the emperor. You may never meet him. You probably wouldn't. Certainly if you lived in Israel, backwaters region of Rome, you'd never meet the emperor, never meet Augustine. But you would hold this coin and you say, I know what he looks like. He looks like this beautiful Greek nose. He's got it. This is his image. And I understand who he is because of this coin. For an Israelite, as Paul is using this analogy of the visible image of an invisible God, they're thinking about the whole era of the Old Testament and all these moments where Israelites wanted to see God or wanted to encounter God but didn't know how to, what he was like, how to engage with him. They're going to think about Exodus 33 and 32 where Moses gets to see God just a very tiny bit. He gets to see God's backside as he's moving away from Moses. He just sees a little bit of it. And it's so powerful that when he comes down off the mountain, he's literally glowing, just a tiny image of it. They think about Deuteronomy. As Moses is writing to the Israelites in Deuteronomy 8, and he says, you also were there at the mountain at Sinai. He calls it Horeb in Deuteronomy. He says, and God's power was so awesome and so beautiful and so wonderful that you were terrified of it and you begged me to move you away from it. It was too awesome. It was too wonderful. You thought that you would die. They'll think about Ezekiel and his prophetic writings as he speaks to the Israelites Images he's seen of God in Ezekiel 1 and Ezekiel 8. He has these fantastical experiences with God's glory, it says. And you can read them in Ezekiel 1 through 8, and it is wild. And it's beasts in the sky and spinning wheels and all this fantastical imagery. But it's not the actual image of God. It's his glory shining down on him. And so as Paul says, we now get to see the actual image of God. We now get to know what he's like, his personality, his characteristics, who he is through Christ Jesus. As an Israelite, thinking back on the 2,000 years of your written history of trying to understand a powerful God that you can't quite touch and experience. And that Paul says, in Christ Jesus, you can. In Christ Jesus, you get to see what that God is like. You get to see his very heart, his character, what he cares about, who he is. I'll say a statement that I know is a little bold. I believe that the Lord of the Rings trilogy is the greatest cinematic achievement of all time. I do. As a whole, Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring, Two Towers, Return of the King, all seven endings of Return of the King. I believe that all of it together is the greatest work of film creation anyone's ever done. The size, the scope, the imagery, what they're trying to encapsulate, all the different storylines connecting together. Fantastic. And I've read the books. Full confession, I would skip over sometimes when the elves sang for like four pages. I'd be like, I got it. All right, moving on. 
But in watching the movies, and it's also that I was a teenager as they came out and going into college, and it was like this Christmas experience every December I knew they were coming out. I would say that I think the movies are as good as the books. I do. I think the experience of watching those films, to me, was equal to, if not better than, my experience of reading Lord of the Rings. And I know that that's not popular, and if you're really hipster cool, you always say, the book was better. I just saw Dune, and I know Dennis Villanueva is doing a great thing, but the book is better. You say these kind of things, right? I genuinely think that the movies of Lord of the Rings are as good, if not better, than the books, and I've read all of them. When we can find this magical moment, and there are movies that do it, I do think Dune is almost as good as the book. I think it, it nails the tone. But it's somebody going out of their way, somebody using all of their talents and faculties, millions of dollars, thousands of people at work coordinating over years or decades in order to take something invisible and to make it visible. Take something that only existed in our minds and put it to motion. I can see Frodo's face and his bright blue eyes shining with terror as a tiny little creature is asked to conquer the greatest evil of his world. I get to see Legolas tackling a giant oliphant and riding up it and then shooting in the head with an arrow. I get to experience these things visibly. What Paul is saying is experiencing Jesus is now taking something that we always thought in our heads or in our hearts and experience with a God who created us but is sometimes difficult to understand. He says, we can now understand it. We can now see him. We can experience who he is through Christ Jesus, the visible image of the invisible God. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3 the author, the pastor of this letter goes even one step further in the introduction to his letter. He says, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. And he sustains everything by the mighty power of his command. When he had cleansed us from our sin, he sat down in the place of honor at the right hand of the majestic God in heaven. Jesus is the perfect image of the invisible God that we have been seeking all of our lives and even for us, 2,000 years later, we have scriptures. We have the legacy of the tradition of the church. We have conversations and preachers galore. But there are still times in our lives where understanding who God is is, is difficult. Trying to understand eternity and how does that work. And a righteous God who's always existed and spoke the world into motion, who is perfectly just and also completely merciful and is good yet gives us freedom to create evil. How do I understand this God? We also have the challenge, the ability, as Paul is saying, to go back to the scriptures and read the story of Jesus' life. Four biographies of who he was and how he lived. We get to read Paul's letters and the encouragements to the churches about who Jesus was and is. And even more, we have his very spirit given to live inside of us. To remind us of Christ's moving work. To be a through way to connect us to Jesus continually in our lives. Paul writes here, incredible deep theology 
in this hymn portion of Colossians. He says here that Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. If we're not careful, we can read that and say, Jesus was born, I thought he was God and always existed. Paul is not talking about birth order of firstborn, secondborn, thirdborn. He's talking about a hierarchy. Firstborn, not that he existed first. Firstborn that he is above all things. He is above all creation. He is supreme over all of it. He rules over the entire universe and created order. Jesus is above all things. We even measure in the modern world, time itself, we measure through Jesus Christ. I'll ask you, what year is it? 2022. Why do we know that? Because Jesus was born 2,022 years ago, more or less, and we define all of time by that. All creation, time itself, we frame around Jesus himself. But we work at, and Paul is encouraging them and challenging them, that it is so easy in our worlds and our busyness to diminish who Jesus is. And all throughout this letter, he's telling them, don't lower the status of Christ. It's easier to try and compartmentalize. The Old Testament has three roles of how we understand God. Paul supremely believes that Jesus fulfills all three of those roles, a prophet, priest, and king. Prophet, the best one they knew, was in Moses, who told them about God, guided them to who God was and is, and brought God's testament down to them. And he's saying he is better than Moses. A priest stands in between God and man, makes atonement for them. And he thinks about Aaron, Moses' brother, making these atoning sacrifices. He says God is better than Aaron. And he says king. He rules over all. They think of David. And he's saying Jesus is better than David. And he's all three of these things working at the same time. For our own understanding, we like to break Jesus down into those pieces. And we gravitate towards one or the other. You may have a tendency to love Jesus as king and authority and rules, and it helps you understand what's good, what's bad, who's right, who's wrong, but you miss the Jesus as priest who's merciful, loving, and connecting us together. You may love the loving, merciful Jesus and priest, but sometimes throw away the idea of a prophet who's guiding us into our life and what God has called for us. And Paul is saying, don't take him off of that status. Keep him as the firstborn, ruling over all, with authority in our lives. He's confronting this idea, and it's important to revisit this idea of Gnosticism. It runs throughout the letter of the, to the Colossians. Gnosticism is considered the first heresy, the first clear departure from Christian tradition and orthodoxy. And Gnosticism is a complicated heresy that runs over two centuries, but the essence of it is about having special knowledge, that there's a special deeper truth that Jesus didn't reveal to us, that he didn't tell us about himself. And we can seek that deeper truth and understand what's behind all of it. And I can find peace and guidance from this deeper understanding. It also comes with this emotionalism of connecting to my heart, that it runs over me in waves, and I have these ecstatic experiences. And then lastly, that there are rituals that come along with it, extra behaviors, patterns that frame us. And each of these Paul is addressing is not settling that Jesus is enough. 
that you need special wisdom beyond him, that you need more experiences beyond him, that you need structures beyond him. And I think what is beautiful is about Paul's approach. Throughout this letter, he never confronts them directly and says, you're trying the special knowledge thing, you're wrong, don't do that. You're trying to add these rituals, it's foolish, don't do it. Instead, he takes an approach that we see as a merciful act of wisdom. And in it, we can summit that Rather than convincing you that you are wrong, I want to show you what is so very right and good and true. This is a real tough tendency for us in 2022 with tiny computers at our hands and our thumbs at all times. There's actually a rule of thumb on the internet. If you want the correct answer to something, it is faster to post a wrong answer that you know is wrong than to ask people what the correct answer is. If I post a wrong truth, people are much more, nope, you're wrong. Here it is. You thought it was that? No, you are a fool. Here's the correct answer. But you can ask, hey, guys, what do I do about this? Silence. We love to correct and to prove someone else's wrong. And what Paul says is the more loving thing is to show them what is right and show them what is loving. We don't need to confront and challenge every heresy, every incorrect area, every problematic thought or feeling, particularly for those outside of the church. What we need to do is show them how very good, very loving, and very true Christ Jesus is. Paul says, spend your time on that. Spend your time seeking the depth of his beauty and grace. Spend your time searching the knowledge of who Jesus was and is in your life and the fullness of God's love for you that he put on flesh and walked among you. Reread the stories of people's firsthand accounts of what he did and how he interacted with people and the power in his hands and in his voice. And if we discover how beautiful and loving Jesus is, the rest of it fades into the background. Paul writes, all things have been created through him and for him, by him, through him, and for him. We sometimes miss the third portion of that in evangelical churches, by him and through him. Great, thank you. And he did it for me, and he did it for us, and he did it so we can X, Y, or Z, but it's also for him and for his glory, and for his ruling. And it comes down to the essential idea, does Jesus know better than I do? Does he know better of where our church is going? Does he know better of the mission and what it needs to do, and where love is absent and we need to move into? Does he know better than I do for his work and his ruling? And as we talk about Jesus is enough, it cuts both ways. The first word that we need to hear, and maybe some of you in the room need to hear today, is if it feels like you're running out of space, you may be fighting your own very real, very difficult battle in your family, in relationships that are broken, and forgiveness is absent, and it's hurting, and it's painful. You're wrestling with the very real recognition that our bodies are frail and broken and do not last in this world. You may be struggling through authorities and principalities above you that you trusted that just now are revealed to be so broken or corrupt. You're saying, well, what do I have? What hope is there in this? 
And Paul would say, when you have nothing else, Jesus is enough. Having him is enough. And you know why Paul can say that? He's writing this from inside of a prison. Depending on which prison it is, experts don't know, it could be the very end of his life. And he's writing from a prison he never leaves. But he's saying to them, Jesus is enough. While he has four walls and a cement bed that he sleeps in and bars maybe to see the sun through, Jesus is enough. And so I want to walk through what came out of a children's ministry book, but I think is actually important and significant for us as adults. Comfort in Christ-centered faith. Three things to repeat, and I'm going to ask us to repeat them together. Let me read them first, and then we'll do them together. The first is, God has a plan. Second, you are safe in his plan. And third, because Jesus is the point of the plan. Let's recite them together. Ready? God has a plan. You are safe in that plan because Jesus is the point of that plan. Jesus is enough. He will do his work, his rule, and his reign. And in the end, when Christ returns, he will right every wrong. He will heal every disease. And he will bring justice to all who have yielded their power for evil. He will right it all. We may not, and the depth of this knowledge is we may not see it in our lifetime. We may not. There are those who have lived and died praying for God's justice to be at work, praying for God to remove disease from their life or the life of their community. And the truth of knowledge is, my life is not the end of it. My physical life, my 30, 40, 80, 90 years on this earth is not the end of it. And that because Christ Jesus rules and reigns and all of it is by him, through him, and for him, and Jesus Christ is eternal and forever, that he will have the last word of all of it. Amen? He has a plan. We are safe in that plan because Jesus is the point of that plan. Second side this cuts to is more so for us in New Jersey in 2022, that Jesus is the ruler and reigner. Paul says he is the head of the church. And this is a tough one for us that have a lot of power, authority, opinions, and wealth. It is hard to then divest it to Jesus' trusting hands. He says Christ is the head of the body. He's the head of the church. He's the head of all who call on his name. Jesus is the head, the ruler, the king, the guide. Jesus says this about himself in John 20, 21. We see him rule and reign. He says to the church and he says to us, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. This may not seem like, initially as you read this, a passage about Jesus Christ as the head, but it's about authority and authority structures. He says, peace be with you. That's my character. That's what I give to you. And then he says, I am sending you into this world. You are not going for me or, 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 or to be me. I am sending you as the Father sent me. And so as you go, 
whether it's Matthew 28, 19, or whether it's continuation in John, or whether it's Acts 1, 8, when we go, it is Christ that sent us. And it is his mission, and it is his word, and it is his power. And so as he sends us, the reminder that Paul says is, do not forget who this is for, who this is by, and why we are able to do this at all. As you keep adding your secret knowledge to this, as you keep adding your special rituals, don't forget that the head of this is Christ Jesus. And we struggle with this in the modern world, in the modern church. I struggle with this. But a good word, a phrase that someone once told me is, in nature, anything with two heads is a monster, and anything with no heads is dead. (laughs) One head is the rule of thumb of nature. Two heads is a battle. No heads is death. We often operate with two heads, and we're trying to wrestle with Jesus. I have this vision for the church, and he's saying, no, I want you to move this way. And we have an idea of who we want to be, and Christ Jesus is challenging us on that. Every session of the church, every meeting that we hold, every worship gathering that we are leading into, the question should be asked, How is Christ Jesus going to receive this? It's very easy, and I've sat in meetings where we've structured worship times and thought about what's the experience of the church body. What are they going to take away from this? What are they going to receive in this? Where what Paul would say is, no, the question is, how is Christ Jesus receiving your songs together declaring his glory? As we preach the word, not Pastor Brian, that was a great metaphor that you used there and structured it together. Or, oh, I got something so powerful out of it. We say at the end of it, boy, isn't Christ Jesus wonderful? Don't we give him the glory, the honor, and the praise that we get to be here gathered together around this mission, that we get to love others in our community, that we get to care for them and share with them that there is hope in a world that often feels hopeless, and we give the glory back to Christ Jesus. He wants us to live with him and through him and by him. One of the beautiful things in seeing the church grow, particularly in our tradition where we believe the Holy Spirit is active and moving among us and bringing gifts into each of us individually, is as we seek the gifts that God has for us, as he draws them out of us and enhances them, whether that is a gift of teaching or a gift of musicality or a gift of managing ability, a gift of pastoring others, a gift of compassion. When we see those gifts as all gifts God gave us that we then get to give back to Christ Jesus and to say, this is a part of who I am, And I'm going to use it to honor you and to bless you and to lead people towards your presence. The gift becomes that much sweeter. That I have this in me. That the Holy Spirit has drawn out of me. And I get to bring my gift to Christ Jesus and hand it to him. And to say, thank you for building me this way. Thank you for moving in me this way. I am now going to give it back to you that it leads others to your presence. Let's continue on. Colossians verse 19 now. We will move faster through these. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. I love that phrase that God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in Christ Jesus. 
It draws out of me a very difficult question. How pleased am I and how at peace am I to be in Christ Jesus alone? Oftentimes I'm like, That's, it's nice, but I also need this or I need this attention or this freedom and this accessibility. I don't know if I sit in times with Christ Jesus, reading the word or studying together, singing, where I feel completely pleased in it. But the Father was completely pleased and fulfilled in being in Christ Jesus as he became God and man in one flesh on earth. And it's Paul teaching the doctrine of Jesus Christ, fully man, fully human, not Superman, where he's Clark Kent some of the time, and then he's Superman some of the other times. In one of the shows I watched, they asked them, if you were Superman, would you tell other people about it? And he said, yeah, of course I would. I never understood why he hid it. I would tell everybody that I was Superman. What are they going to do? That one curl in your hair is really convincing everybody? Well, I'm going to get started on something else. That in Christ, he is not one version and then another, putting on a suit and taking it off, living one life and living another. He is fully always God and fully always man, completely able to understand our life and completely able to triumph over it. And when we live in him, by him, and through him, he gives that power to us. If we are to grow as Christians... Increasing in wisdom, power, patience, and thanksgiving, we need to know, above all, what the Colossians needed to know, the centrality and supremacy of Jesus Christ, that the fullness of God is in him, and that the Colossians and us often want to add more to him. I need to, I need to marketing Jesus up. We need to do an Easter event and preaching the resurrection isn't enough. So I need all of these fun little pieces at the same time and draw them in through that. I need to share with someone about Jesus and who he is in my life. But it's not enough so I have to also spin it this way or I'm nervous it won't be enough to just be vulnerable that I am weak. But in Christ Jesus he is strong. I'm nervous that's not enough. But Paul's encouragement is it's enough. Jesus is enough. His story is enough. The reality of who he is is enough. That Christ Jesus stepped into time itself and made the entire story about him. Paul argues, if Christ isn't enough for you, then you simply don't understand the fullness of who he is. And he doesn't mean it judgmentally. He means it to say, so discover it. So dive in and read and pray. He continues into verse 21 now. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Paul kind of knows human nature as he's writing this because he talks about the beauty of Christ Jesus, firstborn of all creation. God's fullness is pleased to dwell in him. He is supreme and all things are made through him, by him, and for him. But he knows all of that beautiful language spoken to a human being will have a ring in the back of our heads that go, that's all great, but how does it help me? What do I, what do, I do with that then? 
What do I take away from that? That's great. He's awesome. Okay, how does that affect my life? The very real struggles and trials that I have. My self-doubt that I've messed a lot of things up. I struggle with shame. I struggle to let people in to know the fullness of who I am. And how does Christ being so much better than me help me with that? I think about death and that it's inevitable for all of us or people that I've lost. And I wonder about what that journey is like and how does Christ being so powerful, how does it affect that? And Paul says, Christ stepped into our lives and into the world to reconcile us back to our Father, to reconnect us to the source of all life, to reconnect us to order, to creation, to life and love itself. And that the supremacy of Christ is made most full in that he stepped into our place on the cross. Sin separates us on three levels. It separates us from God. It separates us from each other. When we hurt each other, we lie or we steal or we're insecure. And it separates us from ourselves, from the real knowledge of who I am. Makes me put on a mask, lie to myself about who I am or what my worth is. And in Christ Jesus, he reconciles us back to all three, not just the Father, but he reconciles us to each other by giving us the divine ability to forgive and show grace and be patient with one another. He gives us the ability to reconnect with who we are. And to the Colossians who were trying so very hard to find peace in themselves through rituals and actions, he says, we find peace in ourselves most fully by realizing that in Christ Jesus, we are valued, we are loved, and we are given a purpose for all eternity. Reconnecting us back into ourselves that we were made to create we were made to love one another, and we were made to have a mission for all eternity of bringing life and love into this world. And Christ Jesus calls us again to that. And we'll continue in verse 23. But you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Don't drift away from the assurance you will receive when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. The risen life of Christ, ruling and reigning at the right hand of the Father, is the hope of every individual and the hope of the entire world. Christ Jesus died for you as an individual, but that's not all he died for. He died for the world to overturn systems and principalities that separate us and exploit us. He died to make those right. He died for disease and death and decomposition of all things on earth. He died so that those could be restored back into life. He says this hope is going all over the world. And it's working over in the western region of Rome. And it's speaking down into North Africa. And it's speaking to you, Colossians, here in Turkey. And he doesn't even know that it'll speak again 2,000 years later. We'd be reading his letter here in New Jersey, in the United States. He didn't even know this continent existed. And that that hope is for us too. 
the hope of new life in Christ Jesus, the hope of love restored by Christ Jesus, who is in all, by all, and through all, and for all. He says, my mission as an apostle is that you would know how very good your God is and that the depth of his goodness and love is in Christ Jesus and that Christ Jesus is for you and in you and by you he is doing his work of redeeming this world. He has given to his church the power to heal the power to make whole what is broken and the power to restore things that have died because he lives in us and by his spirit we are connected to Christ Jesus supreme ruler of all if you'll bow your heads with me this morning If you're here this morning, you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus. Or maybe you were and it's been a really long time and you need to reconnect back into the beauty and power that is in Jesus. I want to give you a chance to connect with him this morning, to take a step of faith. If you are a follower of Christ Jesus, use this as a moment to reconnect and recommit to his presence and his power. Pray with me. Christ Jesus, we elevate you this morning to your rightful status of king, of ruler, of savior of all. And we recognize, Jesus, that as we see you, we see the perfect image of the Father who is love itself. Jesus, I believe that you in all of your glory and all of your fullness came into this world and lived fully man and fully God. You demonstrated your goodness and we can read about it in the pages of the Gospels. And then you took our sin, shame, and brokenness and you put it on your own shoulders on the cross and you died in our place. That you were buried in the ground and on the third day, you rose from the grave, triumphant, supreme, and full of glory. And that by you, Jesus, we can live forever with you and live fully by you in this world. You gave your life for us. Today, in this moment, we give our life to you. I want to give us a chance this morning as the worship team will go back into worship for one final song for you to invite Jesus into one of those two areas this morning. Maybe you come into church this morning and you are feeling like the walls are closing around you. You are feeling like you don't have much hope or opportunity left or you are genuinely afraid. And I want to remind you and ask the Holy Spirit to remind in your heart that Christ Jesus is enough today and ask the fullness of Jesus to be shown to you. For others, I'll give you the opportunity 
if you've made too little of Jesus and there's a lot of other things in your life, distracting, moving, working, calling your attention, and you need to, in this moment, repent, as Elizabeth said, to turn back to the supremacy of Jesus and to declare this morning that, Jesus, you are enough, and you rule over all these other distractions and little powers in my life. You are supreme. I want to give you a chance to just respond in that this morning. If you could stand with me, if you can, all over the room, and as we come into this last song, pray one of those two directions. You can make your way to the front altar space if you want to respond in that way. And we'll invite the Holy Spirit to speak to us that Jesus Christ is enough for us in this moment today.